0: Good morning. You can go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to 1st Timothy chapter 3. We're looking at 1st Timothy 3 this morning, particularly at verses 1 through 7 as we continue in our series on church life. This morning we're looking at qualifications of elders. And as you're turning there, just uh have you ponder for a moment, what what are we looking for in church leadership? Who do we want to lead our church? What do we want from our church leadership? How ought they to be? And uh, in a time where there's a a lot of shortage in church leadership, lots of churches looking for pastors to serve, and a lot of churches that are going through changes in this uh, very different age. And uh, you can see out there that there's a lot of churches, a lot of preferences, some things to think through, and, and there's all kinds of preferences and qualifications that churches would put forth, but we'll find that they're actually not necessarily in scripture. Things like um, certain skills that people might be looking for from church leaders, that they would be able to um, lead certain types of ministries or to get certain ministries started. Maybe they're looking for that kind of accomplishments where um, they've they've excelled in certain ways, and so uh, I'm looking for church leaders who can, who, who've gotten that track record of, of excellence and, and success. Maybe, uh, certain education requirements that he would have such and such a high level of education in, in the seminary or otherwise, perhaps, uh, certain looks. I want a pastor who appears a certain way, um, or a certain age, maybe old enough, or, or maybe young enough, all kinds of preferences out there. But, uh, we need to take a good, hard look and we're going to be in 1 Timothy 3, there's a few passages um, that emphasize the qualifications of pastors. One is 1 Timothy 3, one is in Titus 1, 1 Peter 5 touches on that, but also we we want to keep that in the backdrop of all of scripture. The New Testament gives us um, what the church looks like, and all of scripture gives us the idea of what a mature leader looks like, and 1 Timothy 3 focuses us particularly on the character of the church leaders. And so we want to see that as a special emphasis today and contrast that with some of the preferences we might bring to the table and see what ought a church leader to be and how ought he to um, lead in that respect. I'm going to go ahead and read the passage if you'll follow along with me. Let's look together at 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Paul writes... Let's go ahead and pause in prayer together. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I'm thankful for Crossroad Baptist Church and thankful for um, so many people serving, making a difference. I'm thankful for the pastors I have the privilege of serving with, Lord, that you've called and, and for the privilege of serving our church. And Lord, we want to hold ourselves to your standard. We want to understand your will, your desires, your design and pursue that, Lord. And we ask that you would humble us today as we study your word, challenge us by its truths, encourage us by its truths, that we could live it out. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. First, as we get started, I want to give a little bit of clarification. I've already mentioned pastors, and our title refers to the qualifications of elders. And if you notice, as I was reading in 1 Timothy 3.1, it says, If anyone aspires to the office of overseer. And so there's a few terms there, and which is it we're speaking of, and so there are a few designations that do uh, appear in scripture in regard to this office. We believe that they are one and the same, just different designations to refer to that office. So one is that of pastor, or shepherd, one is that of elder, and one is that of bishop, or overseer, and some of your translations may have there in First Timothy three one. If anyone uh, aspires to the office of bishop, we don't use that term as much, but it's right there, uh, and it, it's an important one for us to understand. And these aren't hierarchical terms that one is above the other, uh, but these are one and the same. In fact. Um, Uh, If you look at a parallel passage in Titus 1, referring to these, you'll see the overlap of elder and overseer. Titus 1, 5, he's writing to Titus and says, I I left you in Crete that you might put remain into order and appoint elders in every town. He starts to give some qualifications. Verse 7, he says for an overseer or a bishop and continues on with that discussion. There's an example right there in in 1 Peter 5, which is another passage that um, delineates some of the... um, Qualifications of an elder or bishop, uh, first, first Peter five one. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Verse two, he says, tells them to shepherd, and that's a verb form of that word pastor, shepherd the flock of God. And we have another verb form, exercising oversight. So elders are to pastor and to bishop, if you will the verb forms of these so that there's that overlap. Also in Acts 20, as Paul is speaking to the elders in Ephesus, he calls them to him. And uh, verse 17, it says that he called the elders to him. And, and this is where Paul is leading, uh, leaving Ephesus. And, and actually the writing of Timothy here is because Paul's had to send Timothy back into Ephesus to put some things into order. And um, so he's, he's working with the church to help them and their elder system. But in Acts 20, he refers to the elders. And then um, later in verse 28, he refers to them as, as overseers and as pastors. So um, you see those overlap in those few places, among others. So just a quick uh, overview of those emphases, because these are used interchangeably to emphasize the different aspects. That a pastor is the idea of one who cares for the sheep. That's really delineated in the shepherd. You could almost just always say shepherd there. Uh, he's one who cares for the sheep an elder, um, oftentimes does refer to one who is older, but as that position, and you can see some basis for that in the Old Testament, it's one who is an officially recognized authority. There is uh, authority figures given to lead, and so there is that reference. An elder is actually the most used in the New Testament, um, and pastor is one of the, the least used to refer to that office. All acceptable terms, but just capturing different emphases. And then the last one is that of bishop or overseer is one who watches over it's literally the word to see over to watch over with responsibility of caring for um, people spiritually so all those are there and important ideas and and i think it's important question to ask where does timothy fit into this it's a little tricky um, because timothy's there almost as an apostolic representative he's not given the title of apostle but he's there on behalf of paul he is um, working with elders and, and coming alongside the church to put elders into place but even Paul, uh, even Peter refers to himself as a fellow elder in, in 1 Peter 5, so that they are acting with that authority among the church as well. So you get that glimpse there. But it uh, just gives us some perspective. And, and Timothy also is held to these elder qualification requirements and perhaps higher. But even as you read through the pastoral epistles 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus you can get a glimpse of what kind of character and what kind of responsibilities would fall on a church leader in that sense. Now, I want to ask you a question to ponder this for a moment, because I think this will shape our discussion as we head into 1 Timothy 3. But um, just taking a, a step back, and uh, where does food come from? And maybe uh, if you ask a, a small child, like, OK, I know where food comes from. You go to the grocery store, you head into hy V. you buy the food, and you take it home, and you've got food to eat. Or maybe it's the restaurant, if, if that's the way you do it all the time. But I guess we're in, in the middle of Iowa, there's a lot of farmers here, um, but, but to realize actually food <laughs> doesn't just start in, in the supermarket, um, it, it's raised up. Uh, there's, there's farmers who uh, raise the, the crops, who, who plant the crops and do the hard work to care for those crops. There's um, farmers who care for the animals, all, all that meat that you get to enjoy, well, took lots of time to raise chickens and cows and pigs. And, and, and yeah, we can go and get it really easy at the supermarket but hard work went into raising it. Well, with that in mind then, where do you pastors or elders come from? In one sense, we can think of how we would go somewhere else to get them. Let's, let's talk to the Bible colleges, let's talk to the seminaries, so let's reach out to some of the uh, different denominations, associations, fellowships to see where can we find someone to help us in the church leadership. But I wanna challenge us on that perspective. What about growing them from within? as we get started in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 again verse 1 the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires the office of overseer he desires a noble task it's like a good work that he that he desires and, and so there needs to be i mean it starts with people people who are serving people who have that desire and how do we get them from this desire to the point of being ready to serve as elders i think that's an important question and it especially happens within the context of the church. These pastoral epistles, Paul's not telling Timothy how to run a seminary or how to run a, a, a fellowship of churches. Here, here's what, we need to, what needs to happen in the local church as, as you raise up leaders. So, uh, I mean, consider that the church is here to make disciples and we ought to be bearing fruit and part of that is raising up disciples, raising up capable leaders. The church must teach, must make disciples, must train leaders, and we are entrusted with this job. And that's what I'd like us to note from this passage today. As we walk through these qualifications, what do we do with them? Well, I believe the church must train up faithful men. And as we do so, from within we'll, we'll come qualified elders who uh, match up to these character requirements and are able to serve, that the church can recognize, the church can uh, call to serve. Now, if, if you're glancing at the outline and seeing, okay, we're talking about raising up, training up faithful men and we're talking about what these men should look like, I want to encourage you, if you're uh, a woman among us today, or if you don't feel like you would be someone who would be pursuing this avenue, don't have that desire of, of an office of overseer, well, the, don't think that this message is not for you. I want, I want to bring you in because we're in this together to think about these truths and to consider them and to uh, see that we have, all have a part in this, the, the church training up faithful men. And we'll emphasize that, but um, even as we think through this, the, the, in the raising up of elders, there's a particular emphasis on the bigger picture of discipleship and training that belongs in the church. So we can consider, uh, every one of us, how can we grow in these character requirements? How can we observe this leadership potential in others that are in the church? And how can we contribute to God's work taking place in the church? So with that in mind, I'd like to look at three aspects of this training today. The first is this, the church must train up faithful men, men who are examples in maturity men who are examples in maturity. Now, we got a long laundry list of like quick um, character requirements and, and several just listed here. Even in verses 2 and 3, I think there's 11 just shot off really quick. Um, above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Well, uh, again, From the big picture perspective we need to realize that these marks of maturity are actually for all of us to pursue we'd be mistaken if we look at these and say well i'm not aiming to be a church leader of any sort so i don't have to worry about not being violent or not being a drunkard or trying to be gentle or being self-controlled i mean in fact uh, some of these are fruit of the spirit and then in a much bigger way even though we don't have the fruit of the spirit necessarily emphasized here these are ways that the fruit of spirit demonstrate themselves practically. If I'm going to have love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, well, that's going to mean that uh, I've put on a, a, a level of self-control, that I'm uh, in a practice that I don't give myself to, to drunkenness and violence and, and pursuing money with, with all my heart. So there's a guardedness that demonstrates practical demonstrations of what that maturity looks like. So walking through this, just a quick uh, glimpse at all of these. There's some examination questions we could ask as we think through: Who could lead the church? Who who might God be leading and calling and setting apart to serve in this capacity? Well, first of all, does he up does does this man uphold himself with with good character? Um, this says here, above reproach. And there's a couple words um, that here, and then in, in Titus 1, two, two different words that above reproach or blameless, but they capture different emphases on this, that he can't be accused of wrong, or if he's accused of wrong, that he's found in the clear, that he's above that kind of accusations that would come his way. So does he uphold himself publicly and privately? Next, is he, is he faithful in his marriage? The idea of that he's a one- woman man that he's faithful to his wife he's committed to his wife and working hard to pursue what matters in that marriage relationship does he guard his thoughts does he uh, he's, he's sober-minded that he has a, a balanced inner outlook that uh, influences the way he behaves toward others not only that but what what controls this man if he's self-controlled well that lends itself to some of these others he's moderate and sensible in behavior. He's got, uh, he's not controlled by the pursuit of all these different desires. He's not controlled by substances like wine or alcohol that he's given to drunkenness. He's not controlled by anger that he's given to violence. He's not controlled by money that he's a lover of money, and and that's the pursuit and and the purpose of his life. No, another passage says, not greedy for selfish gain. That's, that's not the Types of desires that control him. There, there's a, a discipline that reins himself in and cares about what matters more. Is he someone that others can look up to? The idea of respectable—that he's well ordered and moderate in his approach. Does he love well? Hospitality refers to love of the stranger. Is he uh, pursuing to, to love people around him, the strangers to, to, to give the gospel? Um, even those who oppose him, that that will come out a little later, and um, those who are hurting, how, how does he love others well? Does he examine himself and learn from others? This idea of able to teach, is he teachable? Uh, there, there's a debate on what, what that nuance is there. Is, is he able, is, there's, there's a little bit that could be able to teach or teachable. I think you can learn that In order to be able to teach you have to be able to learn and and to see okay what can i learn from others to think that i'm always right or or not listen well that there needs to be that aspect as part of it does he examine himself and learn from others does he handle himself well in conflict or is he the kind of bully that um, lends himself to violence and and uh, fights and, and loses control and so these come across quarrelsome love or money all of these kind of give a picture of mature character. And we're all needing to pursue this kind of maturity in our character, but in particular, elders must be examples who model a pattern of mature character. There's, uh, here's several verses that refer um, over and over in the pastoral epistles to that of, of being a model, being an example, being a pattern. 1 Timothy 1.16, uh, Paul talks about... Um, the mercy he received as a sinner. He says, so that in me first, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. That's a high calling to say, others are going to look at me and learn behavior from me, learn maturity from me, learn character from me. So there's a need to be a, a pattern, an example that others can follow. Well, that can sound like how can i be perfect enough to do that well, that, that I, i'm out but even paul encourages timothy in 1 timothy 4 15 practice these things immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress again being teachable means we're we're moving forward we're growing in maturity and there, there's a high standard but we're not quite there yet we've got to, we've got more to go as we learn to demonstrate christ in our hearts and lives you can glance at these other passages but it's again that emphasizing the pattern of behavior that others can look after and and pursue as well i think um we could consider for a moment um some of you have teens who've gotten their driver's license or getting their driver's license soon or permit and going in and and taking that test And in one sense, we don't like the word judgment. Like, okay, um, you know, as we're looking at character of these men to judge whether they're ready, but um, as the examiner works with the, the one who's getting, or pursuing the driver's license and doing the driver's test, he's trying to discern, is this person ready to drive? And he needs to make a judgment, yes, he's ready, Or, no, he's not. And if he does not judge well, if he's not careful to discern, he's actually doing a disservice to that individual to allow him the authority to drive and to everybody else on the road that uh, someone who's not ready is now driving who shouldn't be. And so there is a judgment that needs to be made in the, in the realm of character qualifications as well. And it's not a, a negative concept, it's a good concept that we examine, that we are testing, that we are careful. In fact, in 1 Timothy 3.10, and this is in the context of deacons, it says, let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons that they prove themselves blameless. Well, notice that it says, let them also be tested, that this is a reflection of, of, of the elders as well, that they need to be tested, they need to be examined. And it's, it's not a, a written test like you might have for your driver's permit, and, but it is more of that practical seeing in action the capability and the pattern of, of the, the character being upheld in, in their lives. See, these men must be examined for mature character, observed in serving and doing life together as we serve together, and this is where we all come in as part of that, that as we serve together, as we uh, reach out together, as we have that opportunity to do life together, that we, we observe it in others. We see what, what is the pattern of this individual. How does he represent the Lord? How does he serve and lead? What difference does he make? But We want to have men who are examples in maturity, and the, and the church has a role as we grow together to help train up faithful men to grow in that direction. Second is this, the church must train up faithful men who are proven in leadership. Who are proven in leadership. Look with me at verses 4 and 5. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? I think it's important to recognize that if we're looking for men who are proven in leadership men must be faithful leaders in their homes first i think we ought to be careful not to overread into that that only those who are married and have children are are qualified but those who are married and have children that that is the very first place you look to see what is their leadership like how do they do and if they've neglected that for other pursuits they've missed what is first and foremost and, and Paul makes sure to emphasize that here. He must manage his own household well. In fact, there's a reference to the children there, going back up to verse two, he must be a one woman man, that, that he's characterized by a commitment and faithfulness to his wife. <clears throat> we could cross-reference that with Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Remember, we're, we're in the context of all those scripture that since we're pursuing maturity, there's a high calling there that doesn't not, uh, that doesn't not apply to elders. They must have that, that kind of love, and, and th- I think that's a window, too. Love your wives as Christ loved the church, that that will lend itself to that same kind of love to the church, but it flows through learning that kind of love and leadership where you have it, and the thing about the home is that's where you're most often, I mean, you, you have that same interaction week after week, day after day uh, against each other. You you learn just the, the depths of each other's lives. That's where you really do life together, and you let down your guard, and, and sometimes conflict comes in. How are you going to live in the midst of that as you train up your children? That's a lot of uh, work to accomplish. How are you going to do that in their lives? Again, while we have that primary emphasis for the men, I think we could um, turn to the women as well. How are, how are you leading as mothers? How are you empowering your husband to lead? How are you uh, working together in that? Not, not so that you can pursue uh, the office of elder, but so that you can be contributing to the family and contributing to the church and growing in that same kind of leadership. I think that's an important model for us to keep in mind. But as we think about elders and, and this, these two verses here, it's clear as well as in the context of scripture, elders serve in people ministry. They lead in the context of relationships. There's a big difference between going into an office and and running a business, and uh, things are supposed to go a certain way, and... um, if people don't excel in their work, you can fire them. Uh, There's ways to get rid of people who are are troublesome. No, this is very much people-oriented to develop the people, to shepherd the people, to care for them. In fact, um, these, these character qualifications happen pretty much in the context of relationships as well. That, um, you know, it's pretty easy to be blameless when others don't see me. It's pretty easy to be blameless in the privacy of my life. But when I do life with others, the real me comes out. And that's, that's where even having a family, you can see that more practically. But you see some of the descriptions used to describe the work as well. Elders work, first of all, and we go back up to verse one, he desires a noble task or a a good work. There is a labor involved that that it is a job to to pursue. And it might not be um, it might lend itself to different ways, but it involves work to to get it done. And it, it is very involved work, but it's a work with people again. Not only that, but elders work to oversee, and that's captured in that idea of the, the bishop, the one who watches over. That, that's mentioned here as the office of overseer and what he must be. There's the word manage, and that's here in verses four and five. To manage is, is carries the idea of rule, but how is he um, leading and ruling and helping to bring direction to? But also the word care, and we see that in verse 5 as well how will he care for God's church now care is also wrapped up in the idea of shepherding but this is a different word for care here uh, this word is actually used as well in Luke 10 34 for example as uh, the example of the good Samaritan who uh, found the man who'd, who'd been beaten and left behind and uh, stopped to notice and and helped him, and and brought him to an end, and met his needs, and provided financially, there there was an invested care to to notice and serve needs. These different words kind of grasp that all wrapped up in what is an elder, what does he do, and what does that look like in the leadership of a church leader. Also, in that same vein, as elders must shepherd people well amid conflict, Conflict happens, and and certainly it happens in the context of homes as as you try to um, raise children who will battle against authority as as husbands and wives get to know each other and learn to work together and have disagreements about how to do that. Conflict's not bad, but what do you do with it? And uh, 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, Paul is encouraging him, and he says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, you know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. There'll be opposition sometimes, certainly opposition from outside the church, but it even happens inside when different people have different preferences, as, as people have disagreements. How are you going to keep yourself above reproach and blameless in the midst of that? And as a reminder, that's not just the call for elders and church leaders, this is a a maturity that we're all seeking to reflect and to uphold in my character. How do I respond to others when I might be growing in frustration or hurt as I'm opposed, as I'm mistreated, but that doesn't give me place to respond wrong. I must be proactive rather than reactive, and when I start to become reactive, then I start to fall into some of these categories of quarrelsome or violent, the, the bully that is uh, warned against in these qualifications for elders. In the same vein, um, it it's actually happens, in, it's mentioned in 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy and Titus, these ideas of flee from these things and pursue these. For example, in 1 Timothy 6.11, but as for you, O oh man of God, flee these things. It's a, a reference to what was before um, Love of money and, and um, root of all kinds of evil; these types of things, flee these and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Uh, s- similar in in Second 2 Timothy 2.22 says, two twenty two, says Second Timothy two twenty two. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Well, this we, we need a perspective on this flee as well because what we could turn into is I'm gonna run away from problems. And and instead, uh, as a mature leader, proven in leadership, that I I engage those problems for God's glory and people's good, how do I do that? So this idea of flee is not running away from problems that I'm passive or backing away. No, it's active, stepping in to, to love well, to care well, The the flea is in reference to the sinful responses. The flea is in reference to sinful pursuits to pursue instead righteousness, to pursue the better things that God has for us. So that's the kind of leadership that engages and loves and pursues righteousness even in the midst of problems and conflict. That's what God wants for church leaders and that's what God wants for all of us as we grow in maturity. Finally, uh, the church must train up faithful men... Who are anchored in conviction. Men who are anchored in conviction. As we look at the last two verses here, verse 6 and 7, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. There's quite a vulnerability reference there. Two references to the devil. Two references to the possibility of falling. And certainly we're all vulnerable, but uh, Paul is warning against particular vulnerability to those in church leadership, to these elders, and how to be cautious, one, as you're selecting and raising up these leaders, but also in how you prepare them. See, it's important that we recognize we are vulnerable if we don't think properly of ourselves. That's for all of us. We're vulnerable if we don't think properly of ourselves. In fact, uh, I love Romans 12.3. It captures it well. Romans 12.3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And in fact, in that context, it's talking about you've got a place to serve in the church. You have a responsibility and a role, every one of you as, as church members, to serve the church, to do your part. And, and you shouldn't think so lowly to think, oh, I, I could never, I, who am I? And you shouldn't think so highly. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm ready, and I'm going to get it done, and it's all about me. But you ought to have a sober judgment a proper view of self that sees yourself in light of who god is and what he's done what he's called you to do that that steps in humbly but ready and and looks to be teachable and learn in the midst of that there's two particular vulnerabilities in these verses the first is that of pride that of pride paul warns that um, lest he become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil that's the idea of pride right there and how's that going to happen if you put somebody, the idea is one who's newly planted, but that's, that's reference to someone who's a new convert, a new, new Christian, someone who hasn't had the, the time to gain the experience, to learn the practice. How do I manage myself as I encounter different circumstances? There's a training ground of taking the time, regularly serving, getting involved in relationships, <clears throat> a track record of leadership so that um, it's, it's not about, well, look at me in, in just six months of being a Christian, here's my accomplishments, and that's where we can be in danger if that's our focus in church leadership is simply accomplishments. But to inst- Accomplishments are not a bad thing, but we need to see <clears throat> what is the character of our church leaders and how do they uh, pursue the Lord to mature in, in a Christ-likeness exemplified in their lives. So there's the danger of pride. There's also the danger Of shame, we ought not think too lowly of ourselves. Don't think too lowly of ourselves. And verse seven captures that. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So there's that idea of disgrace or shame, and um, even there, it's it's particularly captured in how outsiders would think of us, And, and that can start to drag you down over time. Now there is there is a contrast because certainly um, as we stand for the gospel, there's going to be opposition from the world. We're not supposed to make the world happy because we've said things that doesn't offend, that we've avoided um, touching on issues that are about God's truth, but when we stand for that truth, uh, they, they ought to think well of us because of how we've conducted ourselves to love them well, to, to stand for truth well, it, and, and to uh, keep our character in line, not because we've been or violent or anything like that but because we've actually exemplified Christ. How would Christ respond in those types of situations? See, it does take time. It takes preparation. It takes training to grow into these kinds of experiences through suffering, through conflict, through learning how to compromise not God's truth but compromising my preferences. That doesn't have to be my one way. Through learning to uphold truth in different difficult circumstances, learning to love well and to grow a good reputation by evidencing convictions of character, convictions in our character and the way we treat others. <clears throat> right in that same idea then, I think it's important to recognize elders must hold firm to God's word. Uh, if you want to hold your place and look at Titus nine really quick, this is at the end of a list of qualifications in Titus. And he says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. See, it's holding firm to the trustworthy word as taught. And um, so that idea of sound doctrine is healthy teaching, healthy truths that aligns with God's word. It comes out of God's word. It's not man-made, man's ideas, but it's straight out of God's truth. And that's what... That's how you build the foundation and anchor yourself well in, in conviction that will stand and that will guard you. And elders then must be faithful to teach by exhorting and rebuking. There's a call to do some of the hard work to say, hey, you need to, you need to hold firm to this. You need to work hard for what's true. You need to keep going in it. Just like, just like a coach hollering at, at someone running the race saying, keep going, keep going. Then we come alongside and say, you can do it by the power of God, but, but go, go but also the one who will rebuke when necessary against false doctrine, against wrong behavior, not, not in a hateful way, but in a, you can't do that. That's not right. We, we've got to come back on the right path for, for your good, for God's glory. Takes that kind of hard work. And so I won't point to all the scriptures, but I'd encourage you to read through the pastoral epistles sometime and notice all the times it mentions teaching, preaching, exhorting, rebuking the healthy doctrine or teaching that that this is a a pattern emphasized throughout a necessity the church must train up faithful men men who are examples in maturity quite a a major focus of our passage here men who are proven in leadership there's got to be a track record it doesn't happen overnight you see it especially in the context of the family Men who are anchored in conviction, they hold fast to the word of God and that's the, what drives their ministry. Well, before we close then, I want to encourage you, if you want to turn to Ephesians 4 just for some closing thoughts, what's your part? What's your part? If you're, you're, you're not seeking that, you don't have that desire for that kind of role, but you're part of our church and, and so you're contributing to this Ephesians 4, um, I won't read through the whole passage, but make some quick emphases from it. Whose job is this? Well, um, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and the idea is, uh, I'll read verse 16, from whom the whole body, (coughs) joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Well, whose job is it to do this? Well, it starts with, in verse 11, how God gives pastors and teachers, but but there's, w- what is God doing with these? Well, they equip the saints, that's a reference to all those who are set apart in Christ, all those who trusted in Jesus, all the church members, so that the church members can do the work of ministry. It's a reference to all parts of the body functioning and contributing. We all have a part in this, to serve in the church. So I just want to hit on these really quick. What's What's your part? Here's some ways that we can contribute to training up faithful men all of us can be a part of that pattern in the church first that we'd seek to grow together in character how can i mature in in my character that i'm exemplifying well what it means to follow christ that christ is portrayed in my life that i would commit to serve that i am committed to serve and and to do my part um there's no part big or small, we're all needed, um, there, there's such a valuable uh, contribution in, in things like children's ministry, and things like teaching, and things like um, yard work, and, and the whole span, I couldn't even begin to hit on them, but to commit to do my part of that, to pursue relationships in the church, that we we do it by doing life together, that's the beauty of, of corporate worship, that we get to sing God's praise together. We get to go and study God's word together in, in the ABFs. We get to uh, pray together in, in community groups and get to know each other, but to see what does that look like in the context of church relationships, but we start to notice people that God may be setting apart as we grow together. Of course, to remain faithful to scripture, we want that to define all that we do and finally get active in discipleship whether it's I, I, I want to be growing and someone discipling me, whether it's how can I pour forth into discipling somebody else, but how do we keep shaping each other to take strides forward? And as these things are in motion, I believe through that process, God will raise up faithful men as we do our part as a church to, to be in the process of training. I'd challenge you to, to think through those things, to, to care about them, to, to do your part and to be excited about what we believe God can do as we serve him and see him at work in our church. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for our church members, our church body. Thank you for the ministries that are happening. And Lord, we, we thank you that um, there are faithful men faithful women people serving and growing and lord we pray that you would reveal to us how we could grow in raising up from within faithful church leaders maybe some to send out maybe some to serve together here but lord we ask for your will in that process we ask for your direction we ask your help and we ask that you would challenge our hearts that we would be committed to what matters, your word and your mission of making disciples and, and taking your word to the world. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.